Hey everybody, this is Daniel Patrick, and this is episode number 117 of the Mandolins of Beer podcast, brought to you in part by my favorite website, The Mandolin Cafe. Hope everybody is doing well. Super excited for this episode. Jake is definitely in my in my top mandolin players of all time, and this album is no exception. And, and again, um, if you go to Bandcamp now and pre-order it, or purchase it on uh, Friday, uh, whatever, wherever you get your music, iTunes or Amazon or what have you, um, there's a good chance we can help him make it onto uh, the, the jazz chart on Billboard, possibly. You never know, you know, uh, and it's going into the holiday season here. So, you know, putting money in the artist's pocket's always a good thing as well. So there'll be some samples here and all that good stuff and links at mandolinsofbeer.com and in the description of this podcast. Speaking of this podcast, this will be the last episode of the year. Uh, I'm going to spend the last couple weeks here. I've got some traveling to do and some different things like that. I want to spend some time with my family. I've got some family coming into town and it's been a crazy couple months. So it's going to be nice to actually kind of slow it down just a little bit here. And so I just wanted to once again, extend a very, very heartfelt thank you to everybody who has uh, who listens, who subscribes, I want to thank my patrons, you know, the Patreon people that really, really helps a lot. Nicholas, thank you so much, my newest $10 member. Um, I really appreciate it. You know, even if you can only spare a dollar a month, head on over to Patreon. That'd be great. And uh, I would truly appreciate that. And if you can't, no worries either. Just follow me on Facebook and Instagram. Go to mandolinsandbeer.com. Also, maybe visit my sponsors. Uh, speaking of sponsors, Peghead Nation. With Peghead Nation's video courses in mandolin, guitar, banjo, fiddle, dobro, ukulele, and bass, you'll learn bluegrass, old time, and other styles from some of the most talented players and instructors in Roots Music. Who, you ask? How about Sharon Gilchrist, Joe K. Walsh, Mike Compton, John Reichman, Aaron Weinstein, Marla Feibish, and Chad Manning. From beginner to advanced, Peghead Nation has got it all. They got high-quality multi-angle video lessons, downloadable notation and tab play-along tracks, and plenty of tunes and songs to play. And if you join any of Peghead Nation's video courses now, get your first month for free. Just go to pegheadnation.com. Use the promo code MANDOLINBEER at checkout. I want to thank Straight Up Strings for being a sponsor this week. Straight Up Strings. Uh, first off, they got the great deal going on. The strings are normally $8.95 a set. You buy a six-pack, you save $9.75. That's a great deal. That's more than a set of strings for free. And the science behind it is mind-bending. You have to go to straightupstrings.com. Check out the website and look at the reason why these are some of the best strings on the planet. And while you're there, Sign up for the newsletter. It's really, really informative and always some great stuff from some guests. So straight up strings, Northfield Mandolins. Let's build more than a mandolin together. Check out their website at northfieldmandolins.com or download their app at mandosummit.app for lots of special performance recordings, demonstrations, and special workshops. This episode is also brought to you by Ear Trumpet Labs. They are celebrating 10 years of hand-building microphones in Portland, Oregon. Their mics are beautifully designed, have great feedback rejection for live use, and the most natural tone you'll find for acoustic instruments for a single source like a mandolin or for a full band. Check them out at eartrumpetlabs.com today, and always be sure to check them out on Instagram as well. They're always posting some cool musicians using their stuff, and I think nothing speaks higher for a company than when you see people like those caliber musicians using their microphones. And Ellis Mandolins, handcrafted mandolins designed and built in Austin, Texas. All right, everybody. Thank you so much for listening. I uh, appreciate it. I'll talk to you in the new year. Let's get into the interview with Jake Jolliffe. Again, his brand new album, Standards, Volume 1. 
It's incredible. Uh, the, the, everything from the playing to the mix uh, is all wonderful. So be sure and check it out. Let's get into it with Jake. Cheers, everybody. Now it's my pleasure to welcome back to the podcast, Jake Jolliffe. Jake, how's it going? I'm good, man. Nice to talk to you, Daniel. Yeah, same here. And I couldn't be more excited for you. Um, the, this is uh, airing right before your brand new album is coming out. And it's Jazz Standards Volume 1. And it is killer. Oh, thanks, man. Appreciate oh, that. Yeah, man. Thank you for sending me um, an advanced copy to check out ahead of time to uh, to listen to before we did this recording. It's it's so good. And um and I did just get uh, ended up somebody talked me into AirPod Pros. They're like, oh, it's a game changer. I'm like, oh, I'll check it out. And they they do. That's pretty wild. And your album sounds great in headphones. Oh, sweet. Maybe I got to get some of those. Yeah, dude. They're, uh, surprisingly, they're better than I thought they would be. I didn't expect huh. them to sound really great, but that noise canceling makes a huge right. difference. Yeah, no doubt. So I guess before we talk about this new album, what what have you been up to uh, in the meantime? I know you've been doing some shows. You've been back on the road a little bit with your band. Yeah, I was, uh, I was fortunate that I got to do a pretty full summer of touring um, you know, after last year of basically no touring, um, but starting in July through October, really, I was out with my group and that was, it's always kind of a privilege to get to go out with, with those guys. It was, uh, most of that run was Miles on bass and Stash, Y Slouch on guitar and, uh, Rob Hecht on fiddle and a great group of, of guys, great players. And, and we played a bunch of festivals and, we were on the road pretty hard. No one got sick, and um, oh, that's good. Yeah, yeah. So it was it was a blast. And that was pretty much what I was occupied doing for the last like four months or so. Yeah. And then have any of your? I've already starting to see. Although I guess it's just the European dates right now. But I just saw like Sierra Hall just canceled her whole European tour uh, this Ooh. morning. I heard about that. Yeah. That stinks, man. I, um, I, you know, I had to do cancel a few gigs this year and even just a few really throws a wrench into things. Um, but I haven't had anything canceled for next year yet. Right now we just have, uh, um, some dates in, uh, February and January confirmed and announced, um, with my group. And then we have more in the works for, uh, later, but, um, nothing's canceled so far and fingers crossed, you know? Yeah. Yeah. No kidding. You know, I yeah. think hopefully, I mean, there seems to be so many things booked right now. So hopefully, and like you said, you know, you're out there on the road. It was, it definitely wasn't a perfect time to be on the road and nobody got sick. So, so yeah, you, you can no, make we it got happen. lucky for sure. Yeah. 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 It's just, you know, it can be a big, you know, I take my own band out. So it's a big investment, you know, you're booking the flights and cars and um, not to mention you're like holding other people's time. And then, and then when stuff starts getting canceled, it gets messy. So um, no, we got pretty lucky and I'm hoping um, the next year will just be a little better than this year too. So. And people can go, yeah. you have those dates posted at your website. I do. Yeah. Perfect. Perfect. Yep. So we're going to, we're going to talk about this new album. Um, the first thing I wanted to ask you though, is because obviously you started playing mandolin at a young age and, and yeah. bluegrass and all that good stuff is obviously what you, you were drawn to for a bit, but 
when did you when did you start really getting into jazz to where you were like i want to really start following this path a little bit more you know it was kind of a slow burn i mean i i started getting it in into it in high school um you know some of my best friends like uh, alex hargraves probably first and foremost he was already amazing at playing jazz then fiddle player um who's from just about an hour from where i'm from and we played together a lot and he he was always kicking my butt on that stuff (laughs) um (laughs) but then i i started excuse me taking lessons from the guy that plays piano on this new record, Randy Porter, who's this incredible um, uh, jazz piano player out in Portland, Oregon. And I just lucked out that he was like adjunct teaching lessons at the university where my dad teaches just outside of Portland. And I got connected with him and I started studying with him more just like music lessons, I guess you'd say, because it was, um, you know, obviously he's playing piano and I'm playing mandolin. And so we, you know, he helped me come up with, uh, like voicings and, you know, talk, you know, working on the bebop language and, um, transcribing Charlie Parker. And, and, you know, even then I, you know, like with most of my musical education, I wish I could go back and do it again <laughs> and, and be, and just kind of be more present for it and a little, a little less concerned with like, um, shredding bluegrass the whole you know time you know it's like i've it, i feel like i didn't i didn't go full bore into it even then but i did garner some really amazing knowledge um and i remember like for instance when i auditioned at berkeley i played a charlie parker solo and you know randy came with me to the audition and accompanied me on piano and so i was you know it probably helped me be a little more unique when i was like, applying to school that i'd already worked on 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 jazz some but then like even in you know at college i was still kind of too i guess scared for lack of a better word to like be in many jazz ensembles and stuff like that and plus then i i once i got to berkeley i almost immediately joined a touring group um joy kill sorrow and we were we were then kind of on the road all the time and i was just barely keeping up with school most of the time but (laughs) but i did (laughs) but i continued to work on um jazz uh with my teacher at the time, John McGann, a late great mandolinist, John McGann, who taught at Berkeley. Um, uh, and so I, I definitely explored it some more with him. Um, but then I would say I actually really started working on learning a lot of jazz standards, you know, weirdly not till after Berkeley. I started, I really threw myself into it, uh, you know, five or six years ago, like working on it, maybe a little longer, maybe about 10 years ago, like when I got out of college. Um, and just, it's kind of been one of the main things I've practiced or, you know, the main thing I've practiced in the last 10 years. Um, so anyway, that's a little bit of the, the history there. Yeah. Do you think like the, like living in, in Brooklyn and New York city kind of also maybe there's just so much jazz in New York, you know, it's kind of like walking around Nashville almost and seeing country music or yeah, quote unquote country yeah. music. <laughs> yeah, yeah. If, they, if Bon Jovi living on a prayer is country, then uh, right. that's what you're going to hear on Broadway. But <laughs> yeah, but in New York, it's the same sort of thing as far as, you know, there's a lot of jazz places where you can go hear killer musicians uh, playing yeah. in all sorts of ensembles. That's definitely true. I mean, not only can you go out and hear the you know best living jazz musicians like playing at you know Village Vanguard and Blue Note and stuff like that, but but just the average level of play. If you go into a bar that has a jazz band in New York, it's it's insane. Like in most cities, those would be probably the 
the cats to call in New York. There's just, they're kind of a dime a dozen, like amazing sax players, amazing piano players. And it's cause they all kind of the gravitational pull of New York in that regard. Um, yeah, the level is insane. So I think certainly being around that is really inspiring. And I, um, am friends with a lot of great jazz musicians that I get to play with here and there. And I still, you know, I mostly gig playing bluegrass. I have to say, I'd love to be gigging more playing jazz. Um, but yeah, plenty of people to learn from and to get together and play with here. It's it's crazy in that regard. Yeah, is it hard to uh, when you're talking to these jazz people at first to have them understand? Like if they don't know you, obviously they don't know how good of a player you are. They'd be like, "Yeah, I'd love to jam sometime. I got mandolin." <laughs> and they're like, uh. "You know, um, I actually think that um, these sort of heavy musicians in New York are more maybe accepting of that than in some other places, just because." Um, I don't know. It's so common in New York that you meet someone that's like casually says they play this or they do this. And, you know, like, like being at a party and you're talking to somebody who's a writer and, you know, and a million people call themselves a writer. And I, I'm distinctly remembering one memory to like, you know, this friend of a friend and I'm like, Oh, who do you write for? And he's like, Oh, you know, New York times and New Yorker, just like casually, like he's a writer. So I just feel like it's like so common in this city that like you meet someone who's kind of pretty casual about what they do, but it turns out they're like, the best in the world at whatever that is, <laughs> you know, right. um, not that, not that anyone like assumes this mandolin player would be able to play jazz. Cause I, I definitely wouldn't assume that, but at the same time, I feel like there's so many people playing like straight ahead jazz and tearing it up in New York that I think in a, a lot of New York jazz musicians are actually excited about the idea of collaborating with an instrument. Maybe that's not as common, um, you know, and, you know, versus if you're somewhere where you're just trying to get a good session together, then maybe that's hard to do. Your first call isn't going to be mandolin, but if you play great straight ahead sessions all the time, you know, something with a different instrument might be really of interest. Um, so I haven't, yeah, I haven't, you know, usually in New York, you know, and granted most of the time I'm meeting new people, I'm meeting them on a gig already, like some, you know, random church gig where maybe I meet the drummer and he, so he's already kind of played with, play together a little bit and that tends to be how it goes you know i don't i guess i don't totally cold approach too many jazz musicians like, <laughs> sure. come on come over yeah i yeah. live right down the street man seriously we'll yeah just, mandolin you know you love mandolin yeah <laughs> <laughs> what do you think about it what do you think it was about jazz that got you um to follow that path uh, you know again it's um you know some of the stuff like charlie parker it's not it's not easy listening to some people for sure it's it's complex music you know yeah no absolutely it's you know it's very dense i mean i think bebop in particular you know and and i love that stuff so much like just how detailed it is and how uh you know it's just it's just beautiful music you know the way it, those greats you know like bud powell and charlie parker the way their their lines flush out the whole tune you know it's incredible but um i, I think it's just because it's like some of the highest level improvising in the world, you know, it, it's like, you know, it's, you know, it's jazz music. And if you're, you know, obviously there's amazing bluegrass improvisers, but it, yeah, you know, they're, I mean, just as amazing, but just very different. But I think it's just pretty natural progression that if you're like into that, of course you'd be into jazz. It just, some of it just takes, took me a long time of listening to it before I could make any sense of it with my ears. You know what I mean? Oh like, yeah. Yeah. Like, I, I remember when I first listened to Charlie Parker, I, I would, like, have trouble for sure even telling what key you're in or certainly couldn't always hear, like, what chord he was even playing over. But 
And now like Charlie Parker sounds pretty inside, but there's plenty of other stuff I listen to where I'm, it's, it's part of the listening process is just trying to decipher it with my ear on some level. I mean, I remember the first time listening to Charlie Parker and looking at a chart and just lost instantly. <laughs> like, yeah, I don't even know what chord we're on. <laughs> I'm looking at the paper yeah. right in front of me. Yeah, no, I, I was the same way for sure. So who's the uh, band that we know the piano player that played on there, but who is the band that uh, the rest of the band that played on this album? Yeah. So, and I kind of, I write a, a few paragraphs about this that's sort of going to be printed in the CD, but um, so, so Randy, well, yeah, who's, you know, he's like, he's like 60, I think, but he looks, he looks like he's about my age. <laughs> he's, the guy, he's the guy I studied with um, in, uh, in high school. He's this amazing, amazing dude who teaches at, he's kind of the shit on the jazz piano out in Portland. Like they teaches at a, at some universities and stuff but anyway so he yeah he like i said he's the piano player and then uh when i uh, moved to new york in 2014 i met jeff jeff picker who's a uh, incredible bassist who plays in ricky skaggs's group oh, um cool. yeah and this was before long before he joined that group he used to be in my group <laughs> <laughs> ricky, ricky poached him but um but jeff also grew up in Oregon and grew up playing with Randy as well. Like he grew up um, studying with them. And uh, I think Ricky, I'm uh, not Ricky, <laughs> Randy played on his college audition too, I think. But Jeff, but Jeff was, uh, Jeff was very much in the like straight ahead jazz scene. And I didn't, I never crossed paths with him in Oregon. Um, not even once, even though we're the same age. Um, but so when I met him in New York, he was playing bluegrass guitar and singing um and he was like oh yeah you know i'm from oregon and i you know i play jazz bass and then we we immediately put it together that we both knew randy and then i still hadn't heard him play and then he like picks up a bass and you know before he'd been you know playing bluegrass guitar picking and, and singing and then like he picks up the bass and he just shreds bebop lines i mean i was just like who the hell is this guy like this is crazy um so we we kind of connected over yeah both being in the northwest and both having studied with randy um and then we didn't the three of us didn't play together until the the rehearsal for this for this album oh wow um yeah i mean i played you know uh played a ton with jeff uh in the last you know since 2014 but um and then the amazing drummer alwyn robinson who plays uh Drums with a lot of folks, but uh, with Leftover Salmon, the kind of jam band, uh, we crossed paths when I was on the road with Yonder. Um, I think we met in Mexico at this fest they do down there, and turns out we, you know, both lived in Brooklyn and we like like a half a mile apart, probably tops. Um, I'm actually at his place right now because he's out of town and I'm subletting it. Oh, nice. <laughs> um, yeah, but uh, he's an incredible drummer and he has a lot of amazing music of his own, great singer. Um, but yeah, you know, he plays in, in Leftover, but then he's like got crazy jazz chops. Um, uh, he grew up actually playing like classical percussion. Um, and so he can shred all that stuff too. But anyway, we, we did some touring. Uh, the the two of us. And so we played together a lot. He's probably the drummer I've actually played with the most. You had some stuff on, on the internet with him, didn't you? Maybe like sitting just like an apartment and him on a snare and you playing. Yeah, totally. That's yeah. He's him. killer. Yeah. 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 He's amazing. Yeah. He's really incredible. So 
and he's really great at playing with mandolin and with acoustic instruments. You know, he can play super quiet, but but still, you know, his times like just perfect. So, yeah, I mean, he didn't play with Randy and Jeff. Uh, he'd met Jeff before, but he didn't play with those two until the rehearsal when we worked on these tunes. So, yeah, it was definitely not a not an ensemble of guys that had played together very much, other than uh, you know individual like pairings of us so that's that's the band though yeah there it's it sounds so good now did you Thank rehearse you. in in brooklyn and then record pretty right afterwards or did, was it broken up over some time well so you know it's a whole album of of standards so in the case of really all three of those guys you know more so than me like they've they basically knew all those tunes already um it's not like the most standard standards, but they're definitely ones that any like, like accomplished jazz musician knows. Um, and so all the, you know, they were all familiar with those tunes. All when and I got together once, let me see. And then uh, Randy and I got together, the two of us once um, to work on some stuff. And then we just, we rehearsed the day before recording out in Oregon. So definitely not a ton of rehearsal. You know, it's, it's uh um, it's, you know, it's not like the most, it's not like compared to my last record, which is like all instrumental, you know, uh, all original music. It's there. The stuff is not nearly as arranged as that. I wouldn't say it's more like we're, um, just playing tunes with some, certainly some arrangements in there. Uh, but yeah. That was one of the questions I had on here because it's, it's called standards, but you know, like you said, it's not standards like if somebody's not familiar with jazz or who has a very small understanding of jazz i would say they might look at the song list and go wait a minute <laughs> where's misty <laughs> or you know what i oh. mean like you know it's um they're yeah. cool tunes man thanks yeah, yeah i appreciate that how did you figure these were the tunes that you wanted to do for this album well you know i these were just tunes that i've been working on recently and and ones that i you know i guess part of it for me is i like I like doing working on things on mandolin that I haven't heard on the mandolin before. Um, you know, granted, I'm sure plenty of mandolin players have played some of these tunes, but um, a lot of the fun of playing an instrument that, you know, um, you know, is slightly on the more rare side is, you know, I get to come up with sounds that I haven't heard before. And that's exciting. Obviously that's harder if you play piano or violin or something. Um, and so that sort of extends to repertoire too, or like, um, you know, some of these tunes I had been like jamming on for a while, had known for a while, but, um, kind of through not normal avenues that, you know, I like, I had a lot of jazz musician friends at college and stuff. And, and one in particular, this incredible guitarist, Lee Dines, um, he, he taught me some of those tunes. Um, some of it's just ones I liked from, you know, my own listening. Um, like I said, they're all like pretty standard, like, like any New York jam like any one of those tunes we easily get called they're, they're just you know nothing as standard maybe as like autumn leaves but like have have you met miss jones is on there and that's pretty that's pretty standard Anyway, 
so yeah, there's just ones I like, and I'm trying to come up with a mix where they're not just going to sound like one medium tempo swing after another. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. What was the uh, yeah? What was the first one when you decided like you're going to put an album of jazz standards together? What was the first one that you were like, okay, this this is the, the impetus to do this? Um, what was the first one? Uh, let me think. I think probably of the ones on there, um, I'll be seeing you, the opening track. It's probably the one I knew for the longest. beautiful tune there's a lot of great versions of that out there um and yeah it's just a pretty tune i like playing just like messing around with it on the piano too like it's just such a and that's the thing like you can take any one of these really lyrical jazz standards and you just play really simple voicings or like or voice lead the voicings if you can on the piano and and then play the melody in the right hand it just sounds so nice on the mandolin it's like to even to get it up to just like a level where it even sounds like the song at all takes quite a bit of chops you know and it's just kind of the different difference between the instruments kind of but so the most interesting one (laughs) that i found on there was the oscar pettiford track and is it tricotism is that how you say that oh tricotism Pettiford was an amazing bassist who wrote the tune and uh, you know Jeff is an incredible bassist with lots of uh, crazy chops and it just seemed like a great tune to have um, to have him play the melody and get the you know cool like mandolin bass melody together you know separated by a couple octaves obviously Um, yeah and so it just seemed like a good number to feature Jeff on yeah it's killer and unexpected to see to uh-huh, see on there. Totally. This is so bass heavy, but it's so good. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, you know, the other one that I've listened to a bunch, it seems like, is Moose the Mooch as well, which is, uh, oh, yeah. Again, just a great version of the tune, man. Yeah, that's actually so Moose the Mooch is a, like a rhythm changes, which is, um, it's usually in B flat, or at least uh, like Moose the Mooch is the one, you know when the bird plays it is in B flat and we play in B major um, just cause just to mix it up, just because like I've practiced B flat rhythm changes so much. It seemed like a good opportunity to force myself to practice, you know, rhythm changes. And I've, you know, I've practiced it in other keys, but B major is actually like a pretty strange key to play jazz in, at least in my experience. It's not, it's not one of the more common keys, obviously we're much more common to bluegrass. Um, and then weirdly like the melody, the way the Charlie Parker plays it actually 
goes out of the range of the mandolin just by one note and one place. And so by putting putting it in B major, I can get that one note. Not that that part, that in and of itself would not have been enough of a reason to change the key, but I just thought it sounded fun. And, you know, those guys can, the rest of the band can play in any key easily enough. And so we did it up a half step, but. <laughs> yeah, so that, that was one of the questions I had was the keys and, and, and you know, did you stick to, to the typical keys did you have to do some transposing and different things like that for tunes to to lay out a little bit better or did you try to stick to the original keys um you know i I think everything is basically in in this the most standard key other than that one tune you know it's it's kind of it's funny like playing bluegrass you know i'll be the first to admit that i if i'm gonna have to take a fast bluegrass solo i'd much prefer g d a you know (laughs) over b um, you know, we all have to take fast solos in B all the time, but it's not, you know, it's certainly not easy. Um, and then, you know, in jazz, it's like, um, you know, so often you're playing in A flat or E flat or B flat or F and, um, you know, you just kind of get used to that. But, um, so those keys, you know, I wouldn't say they're harder than any other keys. And, and in fact, because you play there more often, I would like say like, Oh, like probably, E flat might is probably where I feel the most at home. Also, actually, the way the vocabulary, at least the way I tend to, the types of lines I play in a um, when I'm playing jazz, you know, you're not you're hardly ever playing open strings anyway, so they're not particularly any more difficult in in the flat keys than they would be in other keys. You know what I mean? Um, versus like bluegrass, you play like you know, if I have to take a burning solo over. Bill Cheatham, yeah, A is going to be more comfortable than B for sure. <laughs> right. You know? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So yeah. How, how do you go about, uh, you know, so let's say you're sitting down with one of these charts for the first time you've listened to it. Because approaching it, when you look at a jazz chart, there's all these different little areas of opportunity, um, you know, because there's like many things to look for. And I'd love for you to maybe walk how you would sit down with a one of these tunes and kind of beginning to working up a recorded version in a condensed manner. I mean, yeah. obviously it takes more than, you know, five minutes of talking about it, but totally. I'd love to get your, your thought behind it. Yeah. So wait, sorry. Is that, can you hear that heater? Is that no. too loud? No, not at all. Okay. You're fine. Yeah. I'm in my, I'm in New York apartment, which the, once the heat, you know, it's like old pipes and once the heat turns on, it's like a, not only is it like steamy and way too hot, but it's like deafeningly loud a lot of the time too. <laughs> with this, <laughs> no problem. Um, so yeah, and I actually just did this. Uh, my buddy Jake Sheps had this amazing, amazing uh, mandolin workshop, like th- like three day mandolin workshop, which I know you you were at some of or checked out videos of. Uh, yes, yes. A couple of weeks ago in um, Modern Mandolin Workshop, and I taught a couple courses on. Um, on uh, you know how i approach jazz tunes um but just you know a condensed version like you know first thing is obviously just listen to it a bunch like find a bunch of versions and i think a lot of times too like you know i think at least speaking for myself you know i probably jumped in just working on some jazz tunes that i hadn't really even listened to that much and then you know sometimes if you're just working off of a chart it's like i don't know why this is even that cool but if it's like (laughs) yeah you know because some of those real real book charts are kind of, you know, pretty flat. And it's like the, like a melody, like Stella by Starlight, you know, when it's just in the real book chart, it doesn't necessarily look like anything, but then you hear, you know, an amazing, you know, lyrical version of it. And it's like, oh yeah, it's a beautiful tune. Um, But so I'd say, you know, find several versions that you 
that you like, you know, and listen to them on repeat. Um, ideally you learn the melody and the chords from just listening to it. But obviously when you're first delving in, that might take a long, long time. So I, there's nothing wrong with finding a chart, um, to work from, you know, it's probably half and half for me that I learn it just from the record versus from the chart. Mm-hmm. Um, and sometimes it's helpful to have both. And then sometimes it's helpful to make your own chart with some, you know, taking a chart and then like making edits based on certain recordings you hear. Um, but once you kind of have the version you're working with, I mean, yeah, you play the melody. So, you know, just relentlessly until you can't mess it up. Um, <laughs> play it in different, <laughs> you know, play it in different octaves, play it different places on the neck. Um, I, I think a lot of my own breakthroughs with playing the tunes and I've got a, a long huge amount of ways to go still but it's just from realizing that i need to be like you know super familiar with the tunes in the same way that like you know most bluegrass mandolinists are like familiar with like bill cheatham or or big Sciota or something you know it's kind of hard to take a jazz tune that you just heard today and, and catch up in terms of the amount of times you've heard it or played it so just kind of playing it into the ground and listening to it to the ground until you kind of live and breathe that tune I know I had my kind of biggest breakthroughs at first when I just focused on a very few amount of tunes and got really, you know, I just got more uh, fluent at playing over them. Um, And then like, once you've worked on some tunes that way, you can learn more, you know, like, just like if you know a hundred fiddle tunes and then you learn a hundred, you know, your another one, you can play pretty fluently over that hundred and first fiddle tune, like pretty quickly because you know, all these other tunes, right? Right. You know what I mean? Sure. Versus if it's like the first 10 fiddle tunes you've learned, you probably can't play very fluently over any of them yet. Um, but, um, and then I, you know, I just, so basically all that to say, you know, really, really know the tune. Well, like know the form, the chords, the melody, you know, after I've worked on the melody, I usually work on finding voicings I like and voice leading chords through the tune. If somebody doesn't know, is it familiar with voice leading, maybe like a quick little, like if you were running yeah. from, if you could describe that real quick. Yeah, so all I really mean is like if I start with, say, a three or three or four note voicing, I use a lot of three note voicings, um, say like all the things you are, like F minor seven. Um, being the first chord, and then I'm going into the next chord, B flat minor seven. Um, what's the closest? Basically, like what's the least you can move each voice? Um, so, say you wanted to just voice lead an F minor triad up to like so on the mandolin, like first fret on the G, third fret on the D, third fret on the A. Then you have that's the minor third, the root, and the fifth. And now you can voice lead that up to a B flat minor. Um, basically just meaning I, I don't want any one voice to move more than a whole step if possible. So it's going to either move a half step or whole step. So move your, your A flat up to a B flat. So that's the third going up to the root. Um, you can, uh, leave the third fret on the D, the F note. It goes from being the root to the fifth of B flat minor. And then the, uh, third fret on the A C note can go from being the fifth of F minor up a half step to being the flat third of B flat. So you've got, um, basically that's moving from a minor triad to a minor triad, a fifth below, but you're trying, you're only moving each voice, you know, as little as possible. So, and so that, that will just, you know, the alternative being like you jump 
to that same shape, like somewhere else on the neck. And it's like, that works too, but it's not going to sound as, um, it's basically, it was just going to sound better to, uh, so sometimes you do want to jump, but, you, um, what I'm usually, I'm trying to find like the smoothest way to get into the next chord. Sure. So then when you go to trying to develop a solo, like how much of that, when you go into recording, I mean, I mean, I'm assuming a lot of it's improvised, but before you can just improvise in a studio, I'm, a, I'm guessing you've probably sat down and really thought out some parts and different things like that as well. Yeah. You know, yeah. A hundred percent of the solos are improvised for sure on that album. Um, but it's, um, you know, there's a million things that kind of maybe go into doing that. Like, um, you know, voice leading the chords being, you know, one building block. And then, you know, I voice lead arpeggios, um, which basically means connecting arpeggios, um, between two chords in the closest possible way. Um, and, and then just like a million other things like, uh, voice leading just the thirds and the sevenths of the chords, and I don't want to get too in the weeds with the theory side of things, but, <laughs> <Sure>. <laughs> uh, but I guess um, certainly like learning some classic bebop licks and stuff, if you want to call it licks, that was part of what I have done, you know, over the years, I've done a lot of transcribing, um, but um, I, I very seldom have like made up a solo to play over a jazz tune. I actually don't know if I ever have, Um just because, you know, while that can be really helpful, and, and especially if you sort of approach it as like an etude, um, uh, it's, you know, I, the goal is certainly to improvise. And so I'm more likely to sort of take one sort of improvisational approach, like, and then work on doing it through the whole tune, um, you know, work on phrasing exercises, like where you, you know, play for two bars, rest for two bars, play for two bars, rest for two bars, um, just different sort of like parameters that you set, and then you get so that you can meet those. Um, and when all the while, like throwing in a, you know, definitely a ton of listening to, um, your favorite players, you know, and for me, it's particularly the bebop guys. Like I listen to a lot of Charlie Parker still. Yeah. 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 It's such good stuff. I mean, absolutely. It's a classic. The best. <laughs> yeah, for sure. For yeah. Sure. Yeah, yeah. That's interesting, man. That's, uh, just, you know, again, like listening to the album, you know, it's a whole different vocabulary. You know, when you think when I think when you look at stuff like that, it's like speaking a language, you learn the basics of the language and then you try to figure out how to be more expressive and add adverbs and adjectives. And, you know, except here you're using notes and extensions and and different things like that. Yeah. And I think for uh, that's I mean, that's the best analogy for sure is that it's like language. And, you know, I spent many years trying to play over a jazz tune and kind of just playing my normal bluegrass stuff and then wondering like, why does this not sound right? <laughs> um, <laughs> um, and, and, and not to see, you know, maybe it didn't sound that bad, but it's just didn't sound right. And so for me, it's just about um, what's fun for me is trying to sound as idiomatic as possible, but as idiomatic as possible, knowing all the while I can play an instrument that wasn't really used in that idiom. So it's, it's sort of by nature, it's never going to sound like you know right per se but it's like and that's been some of the fun sometimes i'm particularly warmed up and having a particularly good day and i'm like oh that line that really sounded like a you know a, an actual bebop guy but um <laughs> <laughs> it's just trying to yeah just trying to speak fluently basically is what it comes down yeah that's great man i mean you can obviously tell that you've spent 
on uh, I mean countless hundreds of hours thousands of hours probably in in all these years learning the vocabulary I mean I, I it's what I've always loved about your playing I mean you can even hear it even though your first album was kind of like bluegrass instrumentals you can hear yeah. those jazz voicings and some of the solos and different things like that and which is always the stuff sure. that, that I love about your playing because you can just hear all oh, these thanks, different yeah. influences man and it's just like you know growing and stretching and you know sure trying to take it to someplace a little bit different which i i think it's so cool thanks man yeah absolutely yeah it's, that's the exciting thing you know one of them for me is yeah, trying to yeah hear um you know new sounds on the instrument or come up with new sounds uh, and it's not easy i mean when you think about it i mean it's been around for so long it's tough to put your own voice in something and, you know, especially yeah. like that. And I think you're doing a great job of it. Oh, thanks. I appreciate that. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I really do. When um, we had messaged about this, I was super excited because like whenever you put something out, it's exciting to me because it's always, I'm not sure what it's going to be yet. You know what I mean? Like, I don't, I don't have, I have no preconceived notion. I just know it's going to be cool. <laughs> and so. Oh, thanks. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, yeah, well, mission lot, accomplished man. on this one, dude. It is just like. <laughs> I mean, I, I don't even know how many times I probably sat there just listening, just shaking my head like, oh, my gosh. <laughs> like, oh, <laughs> wow. Well, thanks, man. Was there a particular tune on this that you were that you were really excited to record with this? I mean, obviously, you're excited to do the whole thing. But was there any one or two in particular that that you really like, man, th this came out even better than I expected? Um. Yeah, you know, it, yeah, that's a good, interesting question. I mean... I, in some ways, was probably most excited about Interurge, the Joe Henderson tune. You know, it's like, um, <laughs> it's just, um, it has probably the most modern sort of harmony um, that that tune does. Um, there's tunes I'm excited. You know, I guess one of the things that was most exciting to me about the record on the whole is, um, is the way we got it to work sonically, because that's obviously been a huge challenge with mandolin playing with drums and, and bass and piano is like, you know, obviously in the studio, you have the ability to make it loud enough, but then depending on the tone and the way it's recorded, it might be loud enough that it sounds sort of unrealistic, kind of falsely like loud, where it's like, it doesn't sound right because your ears kind of can pick up on the fact that like that instrument's quiet instrument, that instrument's loud instrument, but yet the quiet one is, is over top. And so I, I think we were able to avoid that being the case where I think it sounds pretty natural. And I actually... I really dig the way it just kicks in on the first track of being like this ensemble sound that to me, it seems like it works. And that was a big challenge. And I obviously had the help of incredible engineer, Dave Cinco in, in the mixing process. Um, 
who's, you know, he works with uh, Thiele and the Punch Brothers and countless other people. And he's just amazing. But so I love the way he was able to mix it. Um, you know, we didn't record it in any particularly special way other than we were, we were isolated for some of those sonic reasons. Um, but um, so was Sightlines, still very much like playing together. But um, so, yeah, I mean, I, you know, I have my favorite parts of, of several tunes, but um, um, yeah, I mean, I don't know. My favorite tune overall is probably Turn Out the Stars, just as a beautiful composition. to playing it then but um, <laughs> uh, but it's a beautiful Bill Evans tune I love that tune man I just found a by the way a killer YouTube site I think it's called like the Bill Evans archive and it's just oh, hours oh. and hours of like I don't know if it's like out of print recordings or um, I'll send you the link I just found it yeah please um, do yesterday and I was like, oh, man, what is this? And yeah. Bill, Bill Evans was just a genius. Absolutely. Yeah, he was definitely maybe, yeah, him and Charlie Parker, my first like, favorite. Probably even Bill more than, I think it was even easier for me to get into Bill Evans. Uh, he's probably the first guy I got into. Just his voicings and stuff are just gorgeous, man. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, yeah, and also just seeing interviews with him, he was all about the craft, you know, just very down to earth in the way he talked about it. How long, how many days did it take you guys to record the album? Um, just like one and a half days, I think. Holy cow. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we mostly did just it one and on a the half. first day. And <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, we did like, yeah, most of the tracks the first day and then maybe two the second day and we're done after that. I mean, we didn't, you know, it's mostly all live. We didn't do more than maybe, I think the most takes we did was like four. Um, but, um, uh, and then some as little as like maybe three. So, um, yeah, yeah, it was pretty quick. Different way of making a record. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. No <laughs> kidding. Now, was this the first one that you got to use the Gilchrist on? Um, I've been on other recording sessions, but yeah, the, my last record and let me think. I think, um, I think I can't remember if I played the Gilchrist on like the last Yonder record or not. Um, I can't remember, but certainly, yeah, first one of mine that I think. Yeah, I was gonna say your your other solo album was that the was it the Sam the Sam Bush one? Sam Bush, yeah, for sure. And is that Gilchrist just breaking in nice for you now? How many? I mean, so many hours on it. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, it's just you know in the winter. Um, the action always comes down. So I just, just cranked the action up. Um, and so it sounded, sounded really good these days. I, I love that mandolin That's so much. Awesome. I just had to do that to mine too, man. We came back from Michigan. I'm like going on with my action. <laughs> totally, man. Yeah. I mean, it was yeah. so bad. I literally like detuned on a break at a gig and just cranked it up to get some of the buzz out. It was driving me nuts. 
Oh man, I've been, yeah, I, I, I don't know if I've ever done that, but I know that feeling because you sometimes don't notice when you're just playing on your own. Cause you can just, you know, you play a little quieter, it doesn't buzz as much and you maybe kind of adjust like automatically like that, but then you get on a gig when you have to be loud. And that's exactly what happened for me. Like a week and a half ago, I was playing with Michael Danes and I was like, what the hell is going on with this thing? Like, it's just buzzing so bad. It sounded, you know, did not sound like itself. And, and I got back from that gig and I was like in the hotel, I cranked it up. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh man, Michael M- Michael's another animal, man. He's so good. I'd love to see you two playing together. We play yeah, we get to play together pretty often. Yeah, I got to dude, I got to touch base with you. I got to plan a trip to up to New York. You should, man. Well, man, we're we're playing in about 2 weeks if you want to make a last minute trip. Up. Are you really? We are. Yeah, me and Michael and Alex on fiddle and Oh my god. Me Maybe Tony Trishka on banjo. I'm not sure if Tony's coming out for it or not, but um, yeah, it'll be a good one. What is something about this album for people who, who you know, might be like, well, I'm not really into jazz. What is something that you would say about this album, your elevator pitch? I mean, I can't say enough <laughs> good stuff about it. It's, it's incredible. I mean, from the first listen... I was just like, oh, oh my gosh, this is so good and warranted an immediate second listen. <laughs> so, oh, thanks, man. Well, I I appreciate that. I mean, it's you know, I <laughs> I'm hoping people beyond like you know, um, mandolin players or l- like it. But that's it. I also just hope mandolin players like it too. I, I mean, I you know. It is, I would say, relatively accessible um, jazz in that, like, it's, you know, it's sort of kind of trad sounding in a certain way, I would say, more than like, you know, the modern jazz I hear around New York. Um, part, you know, a lot of that's because I can't play that way yet. Um, <laughs> <laughs> maybe. Um, so, you know, I do think it's pretty like the, not that I am going to encourage people to buy it and put it, put it on in the background during parties, but it is. It is relatively, um, you know, like like I was saying, my, one of my favorite players, you know, certainly when I first listened, started listening to jazz was Bill Evans. And Bill Evans is kind of like one of those um, incredible musicians where like the, the best in the genre and the best piano players all revered as, you know, him. But then also like he's the kind of music that you could have on. And a lot of people, I think, even if they're not big music nerds or could be into Bill Evans, it just sounds you know, really, really good, you know? And, um, and I, I, th- I don't know, I'm definitely not comparing this to Bill Evans, but I think I was sort of shooting for something at least along those lines where it's still like pretty, you know, and, and, and melodic. Um, so maybe that's my elevator pitch. It's still, you know, it's mandolin jazz. It's pretty, we're dealing with pretty nerdy stuff, but, um, <laughs> but, you know, um, I don't think I don't think it's honestly it might be less jarring on the ears than my my bluegrass instrumentals. <laughs> <laughs> I love that record. <laughs> oh, thank you. Yeah. Well, yeah, I'm proud of it, but it's um, yeah, I, I, you know, I don't I don't necessarily see this as being you know less accessible than that. Um, you know. Yeah, it's really, dude. It's just it's really a pretty album. I mean, it's definitely got thank moments you. of you know complex music but it never takes over and in, in like train wrecks a song or you know what i mean it never takes over where you're like where what is going on here you know it all is very musical yeah you know it could have been really yeah. really wild stuff and it's just it's it's 
excellent. I mean, I guess that's the best way to say Thank it. You. It's just, you know, it's um, all the playing's great and it's got all the aspects you would want from like a cool jazz record. I mean, it's musical. It's it makes you want to work harder at your instrument if <laughs> for sure, you know, uh, for if you're me anyway, and you're like, oh, I need to practice. <laughs> well, and I mean, for me, honestly, like it's a, it's a very different kind of record than my last like i don't know if you call that a bluegrass record but instrumental record where it's like you know that record which i put out a few years ago it's like it's still working within an idiom that i feel pretty comfortable with you know it's like i grew up playing bluegrass and and the type of record that i put out is very much something influenced by like bela flack and david grisman and that kind of new grass or progressive bluegrass thing but it's still kind of my home genre so it's definitely the thing i'm best at um and this is almost like the opposite kind of record where it's like, this is like something I'm working on. I don't feel comfortable with yet. And it's, you know, the, making a record like this was an excuse to like work on those, whatever, eight or nine tunes, like nonstop. And, you know, it's kind of, they're two different things, you know, and, and one is like, you know, I'm just, I'm trying to learn to speak this language. The other thing, the other one is more like, I speak this language and I'm trying to say something, um, you know, within that, not that I wasn't trying to say something with this record, but it's like part of what I'm saying is just like, I think you can make this sound right on mandolin, which obviously that's, you know, mandolins, you know, you know, bluegrass and mandolin, you don't need to make it sound right within it because it's part of the genre from the beginning. So it's kind of a different, this is, I guess what I'm saying, it's a different kind of statement to the degree that it, it's a statement. Yeah. It's a, it's admirable too, that you put this album out. I mean, it's tough to put yourself out there. And like you said, like, this is a, this is like a passion project, I would say in a sense of like, absolutely. That's amazing. And, and the fact that it's just a, just an excellent record. I'm always excited for the future with your playing <laughs> because it's just, it, I love it's I, I just really enjoy it. But now, man, I've put, now this is two records that have volume one. That I, put I, that's I, why I, really... I have a note on here about that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Is there, is there, is there a volume two of the last album? Well, I have tunes. I have tunes in the works for it. I just haven't recorded it yet. So I definitely have plans for volume two of uh, like something in that sort of, you know, Bela, Grisman, Thiele, Vane. I've got, you know, plans to make another one of those. I obviously want to make another standard record because I just called this one volume one. I've got tunes I want to record. And then, but I also want to, the next thing I'm going to record is like a, a album with my band that has the singing tunes that we do, you know, trad bluegrass and, and some covers and stuff. And it's just kind of the repertoire we play live. And it's like, um, I want to do that next. I don't think I'll put volume one in that title. Cause that's just like, I'm setting myself up for, for <laughs> failure, but then I need to get back to recording volume two of, of both of those. <laughs> yeah. That's great. I mean, yeah. I think it's, I think it's exciting knowing that there's a uh, volume two. I mean, it always leaves it out there. Even if you don't do it, like, Oh man, there's always the hope of a volume two. <laughs> oh yeah. No, they'll, they'll, they'll happen eventually. It's just a matter of, you know, records aren't the bluegrass records aren't the cash cow they once were. So it's a matter of, uh, <laughs> well, that's why you went jazz, right? <laughs> that's why you know, those jazz, I don't think cash, jazz cows. cash cow either. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. oh my gosh oh that's great buddy well man yeah i yeah. am so excited for people to check this album out they can still when this interview comes out they'll still have time to pre-order it on Bandcamp, which i highly recommend you do um it'll be available on all the platforms i'm assuming uh this friday coming up here when the date is yep 
Yep. Cool. Absolutely. But you know, those pre-orders, those pre-orders are important to musicians. I don't know if people like realize it, but you know, those are, those are, when you see those chart numbers, it's not as unobtainable to hit a bluegrass or a jazz chart as it, as it is to say a pop chart. So if some of these listeners are on the fence, man, go out there and just get it. Uh, It's great. You'll hear the samples here. There's a couple tracks that are streaming in full length uh, in a couple different places that you can check out at this point now too. It's good stuff, man. So go and just go pre-order it. (laughs) Thanks, Daniel. Yeah, buddy. Thank you, man. And uh, anything else you want to say about the album or any other updates as far as uh, things Uh, going on? No, that's that's pretty much it. I've got actually. I do have another record coming out um, in a couple months, uh, but we'll maybe talk about that one later. It's an it's a duo record with Grant Gordy, um, amazing guitar player, um, incredible. I won't. I won't get into it too much yet, but when we have that, that one is done too. And so dude, we'll do, we'll do an episode <laughs> with the three of us Oh and, hell yeah! and, and we that'd can talk great. about it. Uh, cause, uh, you know, you both have been on now. So yeah, that'd be awesome. I love Grant too. So man, I do too. well, excellent. Yep. Well, dude, thank you so much, Jake, for doing this. You uh, got it, I, I Daniel. appreciate thank it. You, Congratulations. Man. Thanks so much. Appreciate that. All right, there you have it. Go out there and get that new album by Jake. Reserve it now. It comes out on Friday, wherever things are available. I'll talk to you all in the new year. Take care, everybody. Cheers.